And good morning again, everyone. All righty, and good morning to you folks logging into Facebook or onto YouTube later on today. Glad to have you with us as well. Let's see, this morning's children's church is Glenn and Donna. So 12 and under, head over for that. Enjoy a good trip time over there, good lesson, I'm sure. And uh, as they're heading over for that, if you want to go ahead and mark in your hymnals, number 181, just as I am, we'll use the first and second verse of this hymn for our uh, invitation this morning. And again, good to see everybody out. Uh, certainly good to be here. Good to have another good crowd out this morning. And it's always a privilege for me to share in God's word with you. Uh, I struggled with this sermon today. I struggled right on up to the point that it was time for me to come up here this morning at 10.30 upstairs from downstairs because the more I thought about this topic and things, the, the more disturbed I was. I guess like many or most of all of us uh, were amazed, dumbfounded, what's been going on in our country the past couple of days, the agenda that's being pushed, uh, not even under the cover of darkness. We have a large company, household name, and has been for generations telling their employees that they're too white. No more Mr. Potato Head or Mrs. Potato Head. And I thought that was a toy that you taught children what a ear and a mouth and hair and arms and legs and a hat was. Uh, kids be able to go, if they could get, I guess, to the doctor, and they probably provide transportation. Kids, underage children, being able to go to a doctor and tell the doctor that they decided they want to be a different sex than what they were born. Uh, it's okay if you want to say you're a a girl, even though he's born a boy, and you'd have to be allowed to try out and play if you made the team and share a locker room with your daughters, restrooms with your daughters and your wives. Are, are, we, are we outraged yet? I mean, that's why I struggled with this. At the mockery. Mockery of God. Are we outraged yet? As individuals, and as a church, as a county, state, and a nation. Where is our outrage? We have a perfect right. We have a moral obligation, according to God's word. And our nation. And the future of it. We have people that is bound and determined to, and bent on changing every rule in the book and to make a mocking of God while they do it unabashedly, unashamed, not under the cover of darkness, on the national news media. I read an article or two this morning that was calling for Rand Paul to be disciplined for his line of questioning for that thing that Joe Biden nominated 
to be the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. Are we outraged yet? Or are we going to continue to turn a blind eye? It doesn't affect me. Really don't matter much to me because it don't apply to me. But yet it does apply to each and every one of us. Before I could come up here this morning, I said, I've got to do something. And I emailed Mitch McConnell, Rand Paul, and Hal Rogers. I want to encourage you to email your representatives, folks. If we don't express outrage to what's going on, silence is the same as consent. And if you sit there with, in silence on these issues and say, well, my voice is not going to make much of a difference. Well, one person, you're right. If only Rob Hale was the only person that emailed them three representatives from the state of Kentucky expressing his outrage at what they're doing. And I thank Rand Paul for standing up for our kids because he, 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 he really, he was, you could tell he was dismayed that he was even asking the questions. But the, the thing wouldn't even answer the questions. Said that if he was fortunate, it was fortunate enough to be confirmed that he would come, it would come. I'm not going to give it, that's what it is. It's a blasted it. It's, a, it's an abomination is what it is. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm going to have a hard time getting through this. I'm so mad at what's going on in our country. That it, I'm having to struggle with my Christianity because I can't stand this mockery. I understand more about the Bible and what people in the Old Testament times and in the times of Jesus calling because of persecution, calling for a Messiah, a Savior. I get it. I get it. Galatians chapter 6. So if you would, just keep me in your prayers so I can get through this today and not be an embarrassment to you or myself. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. And whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth unto the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And that's what this is. And I know, folks, I have preached this and have preached and have preached. And I know some of you have been discouraged because my messages have not been encouraging messages. I've been preaching more like John the Baptist and less like Joel Olstein. I make no apology to you for that. We need more people preaching in the pulpits, calling out sin like John the Baptist did, even to the cost of his head being lopped off by a sinner, encouraged his wife. And we need people telling us that everything's feeling good and we're going to be all right because that's where we are in this nation. We've been told everything's okay. It don't matter. You can live your best life now. No, my best life is going to be when I'm at the in heaven with all the other saints praising God and Jesus Christ. That's going to be my best life. The worst life we're going to live is right here. Let's be true about things for a change. 
God is not going to be mocked. Though our elected officials are mocking God, rest assured, as, as Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, uh, you're going to reap what you're going to sow, and that goes right down to us too. If you're doing things that you know are against God's law, you're going to reap what you sow, folks. But he also says our encouragement there is that if, if we reap the Spirit, or if we sow the Spirit, then we're going to reap eternal life. Now, there's an instance here in Matthew, and this is where my original sermon was, and I'm going to try to blend this together because it bothered me so bad. As I continued to write this sermon, I'm thinking, you've got to stay, you gotta stay on, on task here with this sermon, but this other stuff, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, verses, and verse 12. It's where I wanted us to start this morning. Judge not, Jesus says during the Sermon on the Mount here. Judge not that you be not judged, for with judgment, with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, and considereth not the beam that is in thy own eye, And then verse 12, one that we're familiar with, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets, the golden rule. Jesus teaching here that we got to be careful about judgment. We're going to learn a little bit later here. Judging people when we won't acknowledge our own sin is what Jesus is talking about there. you got a little speck in your eye. I've got a big old splinter in my eye. I better tend to the splinter before I tend to your speck. And we've got to start, and we've got to make sure that in each and every household that's here today, and I'm not accusing anybody, I'm just preaching what Jesus is teaching and each and every household that's out there listening, and, and we'll log into YouTube later. Make sure you don't have no splinters in your eye before you start emailing your representatives, calling out sin, and that's what we got to do first. We got to get ourselves in the right spot. Not perfect, okay? But we've got to stop condoning sin. We've got to stop living sin and winking at it. We got to start talking about things that stop talking about things that we know are wrong, uh, and with our tongue in our cheeks, thinking that God will be mocked. He's not going to be mocked. So let's make sure we get our own household, our own individual lives in order before we start calling out this sin. We've had a lot of people all summer long praying, and I believe it. Uh, if we're people who's called by his name will humble themselves and pray. But the first thing we have to do to humble ourselves is to, like Jesus said, make sure we got the splinter out of our own eye before we point out the speck in somebody else's eye. And then we have to remember what he said in the golden rule. Whatever we would have people do to us, we need to do to them. We would want compassion, wouldn't we? We wouldn't want people to be... Uh, hateful in what they say to us. We, we, Jesus says, and we have to follow the teaching of the Bible, everything that we do is to be done out of love. 
to be done out of love and compassion. John chapter 7, verse 24 says this. Judge not according to appearance, but judge a righteous judgment. Now there we have the authority to make a righteous judgment, a judgment. See, judging in all things are not wrong. We have to make a discernment. We have to make a judgment. We have some guidelines we have to go by. We have to make a righteous judgment. Well, what, what are those guidelines, Rob? Help, help me to understand how do I make that judgment. Well, does it, does it lift up Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Does it oppose Satan's interest? Does it elevate the truth? Does it result in the love of God and love of others? Remember, that's what Jesus said. The two greatest commandments, love God, love others. That's how you make your righteous judgment. Does it acknowledge Jesus Christ as the son of the living God, born, come here in flesh to teach us how to live, how to treat one another, and how to serve God pleasingly? Does it oppose the interest of Satan? Does it oppose the interest of Satan? This country has masterfully dodged that one in many, many topics. In the name of equality. In the name of fairness. Does it oppose Satan's interest? Does it elevate the truth? Do we not see the hypocrisy of people telling us to wear masks and follow the science and then put something like that on national TV that wants to be over health and human services? Why don't that thing follow the science? If he was, it was born a man, why don't he follow the science and be a man? Can we not see the hypocrisy that we are under in a, as a nation? And we as Christians have a right, we as Americans have a right to have our voices heard, folks. There's nothing wrong with speaking out. There's nothing wrong with saying this is wrong, this is a mockery of God. I think we would come more likely to be judged for not speaking out. Because God blessed us with a nation where we as the people are supposed to have the voice that makes the rules and the laws in this nation via the people we elect to go represent us in Washington, D.C. or Frankfurt or, or London, however that works. And if we remain silent, guess who's not going to remain silent? Guess who's not been silent all throughout history since uh, the Garden of Eden? He wasn't silent when he tricked Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. He wasn't silent whenever Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross. And he's not silent today, but we are silent. <clears throat> Does it result in the love of God and the love of others? When we do this, when we use these patterns to answer the question in making our judgment, it's a righteous judgment. It has nothing to do with me trying to justify I'm a better Christian than you because I'm not doing the sin that you're doing, but I'm doing the sin that I'm doing, and it's not as bad as yours. That's how we judge things, and that's what Jesus is warning about, the speck and the, and the splinter. But whenever we use that criteria about Jesus being the Son of God and opposing Satan's interest, does it 
elevate the truth and does it result in people loving God and loving others, then that's a righteous judgment. We can, there's a good example of this over in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. You've heard, you've heard this scripture. In fact, I've preached on it before. But I wanted to look at it in a little different light in the day and age that we live in. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus says here in 30, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he was departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? We know the story, but do we know that there's three rules of metal there? The iron rule. What's yours is mine if I can take it from you. That was the thief. What's yours is mine if I can take it from you. That's the rule of iron. That's what weapons is formed out of. We understand and know that. Money, possessions, position, standing, status. We have people that undermine people uh, to, uh, to get them in trouble at work or, or get them in trouble someplace else to, to diminish uh, their reputation so that they might be elevated. That's the iron rule. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone breaking into your house and stealing your goods or robbing you on the side of the road and, and leaving you there for dead. It means any time that you try to take something that doesn't belong to you, something that you haven't worked for and you haven't earned, that's the iron rule. It's alive and well today. Freedom is part of that. Freedom to worship. God gives us that right, no one else. But rest assured, we will be censored in the future. Rob, I think you're carrying it too far. I think you're naive. Because just as sure as I'm standing here, and just as sure as we're going to get stuff passed again as Americans in our legislation, they will censor, just like they threatened to do uh, six or seven, eight years ago, preaching the gospel as hate speech. Why? Because it speaks specifically against homosexuality. It speaks specifically against perversion, sexual perversion. And I can't but speak the truth. And I'm not going to avoid the subject because I'm afraid somebody's going to come knocking on the door and pack me out of here. You, this is where we are. If they're blatant enough to want to send somebody up there and say, 
we're going to make a law that says if a child of six years old, they said in England it was three. How old is Zeke? Is he three yet? Four. A child Zeke's age could go determine what sex he wanted to be. And their mother and father would have no control over it. And you and me will pay for it. I've never really intentionally wanted to stand up here and make people mad, but I want you to have some emotion. I want you to have some feeling about what's going on in this country. I want you to be as offended as I am about the mockery of God and the silence of the church. The iron rule says, I'm going to take it, and you're going to like it. And that's what we're living under. And then you have the silver rule, the priest that walked by. Two people that you would expect to be given help walks by and turns a blind eye. Two people that you would think that would, would be the very ones that would lead the way. Does it start to sound familiar? Why are we not hearing nationwide, and I'm not knocking on nobody in this room, okay? But why are we not hearing the outrage across this nation about what's going on from our church leaders? Why? What's mine is mine, and you're not entitled to it unless I decide I want to give it to you. Is it not an important enough battle, the mockery of God, for the church to be offended and to speak out about? No. Do you know why a lot of cases are? We have churches that have homosexuals in the pulpit. We have churches that have people in the pulpit that go against what God's word says. So why would we stand up and be mad about what we see going on? Where is our outrage? And then the golden rule, the Samaritan. Whatever you would have men to do to you, do unto them. I, there's not a one of us, if we were in an unfortunate accident, we would hope and pray somebody would stop and help us, wouldn't we? That's what he's talking about. I would hope and pray that somebody would stop and help me. Just as I would stop and help someone if I witnessed an accident. And have. And you have. And that's what it's going to take to change. Is people taking action. I'm not trying to guilt nobody in for driving by a car wreck. I'm talking about people taking action. The thief took an action. He took what didn't belong to him. The, the priest took an action. An action of saying, you're not worthy of me sharing what I can do for you. That was their action. And the Samaritan took an action. He said, I'm going to help this fellow. And not only am I going to help him, I'm going to get him to some place where he can get taken care of. And I'm going to leave the money because he's got more to worry about than paying for this right now. And I'm going to tell the innkeeper that, hey, if that ain't enough, I'm going to bring it. He provided everything for the person that he helped. He took action. And I think it's proper for Christians to take action. Lest we fall into the category of the, of the two priests who walked on by on the other side, turned a blind eye, got nothing to do with me, nothing to see here. We've got to stop living like this, folks, or it's going to get worse. And worse. 
We've got to be willing to speak, and I always will be, as long as I'm allowed here. And even when I'm not allowed here someday, even if I get carried off someday, even if I get a letter or get censured, that's going to happen before long. And I'm pleased to tell you that our new website, which will prevent that from ever happening where we can't get the word out, it's almost finished so that you can log into a website and watch our videos and hear the gospel preached. We've been working on it and working on it and we've about got it completed. So I'm, I'm happy for that because uh, it couldn't be none too soon. It's, it's time, and I know that we all have a lot going on in our lives. And I know that there's a lot of a lot of things that we have hopes and dreams and aspirations for. But for our kids and our families and our countries, the biggest aspiration we should have is a home in heaven and to be found and counted a pleasing servant unto Jesus Christ and God, his Father. And we've gotten blindsided by whatever rule you want to call it, sometimes of being able to think we can set that aside for a time and we'll come back and visit that later when it's more convenient when I have a different agenda taken care of and that's why we're here folks is we've set aside the importance of a relationship with God so that we can follow an agenda that's not of God to accomplish a, a means to an end and then if it's convenient we'll come back to that 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 25 through 27. There should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one and for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it, and one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. The outside cannot see us divided. That's what they're trying to do in this nation now, is divide us. Well, the church has been real convenient for them. They divided themselves. We have to come back together in unity, one mind, just as Jesus talked about, just as Paul talked about, that we would all have one mind. First Peter chapter 2, 21 through 24. We have the, the way to do this. For even hereunto were you called. That's us, okay? We are called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to be judged to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on a tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Did you catch that last little bit? That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. If you are partaking in sin, 
and you know it's sin, I tell you again, out of Galatians, God will not be mocked. What you reap, you will sow. Here, Peter is saying that we are to try to lead a righteous life, and that means that we don't live. I'm not saying you're perfect, and I'm not saying you're not going to sin, and you're not going to stumble, and you're not going to fall, but you're not going to knowingly do it, and you're not going to embrace it and do it tongue-in-cheek, saying, oh, I'm forgiven by Jesus Christ. If that were the case, all the teachings about how to live and how to treat each other would be useless. If we could just go live any way we wanted to live, which is what the world would have us to believe, embrace anything we wanted to embrace, which is what the world teaches, and we're all going to go to heaven, then 99% of the New Testament wouldn't even be necessary. All we'd have to know is that God had mercy on us and Jesus Christ to die for us, and we're all going to go to heaven. Forget the rest of it. So there's my case that I make. If Christians were allowed to live any way they wanted to, why, does we see, why do we see so many references about living a righteous life, abandoning sin, loving other people as we would love ourselves, having, them to do, having us to do to them as we would have them to do to us? Because it's important, folks. There's a reason. And back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13, and 14 as we close out this morning. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit or be brave, you like men. Be strong. Let all your, all your things be done with charity or love. Can we stand fast and be quiet? In the faith? I don't think so. Can we be brave and be as men or women and be quiet and not take advantage of the opportunities that we have as individuals in a nation that says that I have a voice and I want to make my voice heard so that I can affect change in my nation? I don't think you can be quiet. I don't think that you can accept sin. I don't think you can accept things the way that they are. I don't think you can accept your own lives if you're embracing sin and read and follow what Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, and let everything be done in love. Because Jesus was all of those things. Do we not remember that he went into the temple and cleansed it because of the unrighteousness and stuff that was going on in there that was against God's will? He wasn't doing something because uh, he had some kind of special agenda. It was a mockery of God. He opened his mouth. He took action. We have the same right. We have the same right. Distraction misdirection that's the normal for today that's what we see happening in our country or crime committee being committed over here a mockery being committed over here so we're going to create a distraction over here so people don't look this way I fear it's just the beginning I make a call for everyone in this room everyone in the hearing of my voice to pray we shouldn't stop praying after election day. I think a lot of people got discouraged 
after election day. And it didn't go the way many of us wanted it to go. I'm not saying everybody. Stop, stop praying because, well, here we go. No, we need to continue to pray. We need to pray harder. We need to pray diligently each and every day. We need to make sure that we don't have a splinter in our eye. And when we go before the Lord in prayer asking for him to heal our lands, that we're not following after sin ourselves. We have to pray. Pray that the enemy of God will be defeated in this nation. And no matter how difficult things come for us, and, and I'm preaching this on February the 28th. Do you get what I'm saying? When was Inauguration Day? January the 20th, wasn't it? A month and eight days, I'm preaching this message into a four-year term. It's coming. Pray. 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 Pray for this nation. Pray for the wisdom of God to be sought after by our elected officials. The next time we have the opportunity to vote, ask questions and demand that people that share the same values that you have are the one that you pull the lever for when you vote. And I'm talking about Christian values. That's what I'm talking about. Let us love one another as Jesus taught in the example with the Samaritan because it could be any of us laying in the ditch asking for somebody and praying for somebody to stop and help us. And let us above all things love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind, and all of our strength. And let us begin to live the values that we say we believe in as a nation because rest assured we will reap what we sow we're going to sing a hymn of invitation this morning if you've never accepted Jesus Christ that would be my prayer for you today is that you would you would repent of your sins you would have said I have heard the gospel I believe it I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior you come forward confessing, be buried with him in baptism, raised that new creation, having received the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you can have a guide throughout the rest of your life to walk successful. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you've been a Christian and you realize, you know what, I'm not in the shape that I need to be in, but I'm going to be. Well, that is great. And that's my prayer for you too, that you would repent of any, anything that you need to repent of. Confess sins. Make relationships correct with people that you have injured, that you have wronged. They may not even know you've done something to them. God knows. And God gives us expectations as Christians that we're supposed to go make those things right. That's part of that splinter in your eye, folks. We're going to sing a hymn invocation. Invitation. 181, just as I am, first and second verse. Would you come as we stand and sing?